tonight on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast. We are going to do part one of your week in IndyCar listener Q&A. I thought we might be down to a single episode this week. I thought we might have fewer questions. Therefore, back to what's kind of the old school now. Single episode per week. But we dictate how many episodes we do based on the amount of questions that y'all send in. And guess what? We're now a couple of weeks into the off season and there's no sign of slowing down and that makes me really happy so thank you to everyone who took time send in a question here thank you as well to our good pal tim falkowitz who puts this list together of questions we have our call it prioritized questions that we get to in the first hour ish and then everything that we call overtime I have an hour and a half tonight total, period. Wish it could be more. So we're going to see how many we can rock and roll through. Going to say thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. Lots I could tell you before we get going, but I will spare all that in the interest of getting moving, barring one quick item. So... If everything goes according to plan tomorrow morning and my wife and I get through a couple of important appointments, I might be driving down to see a motor racing circuit and cars on that circuit. (laughs) Ah, It makes me so happy. Uh, It has been a year and I don't know, it's a year and two months almost. We're coming up on almost 14 months, I think since I've been to a motor racing circuit. And funnily enough, I'm going right back to the last one I was at with the kind of cars that were there. So everything, everything hopefully will pan out as desired. And I will be driving down starting at about noon-ish tomorrow to WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca. It was meant to be a four-car Chip Ganassi racing test that was trimmed to two So what we have is a rookie day for Jimmy Johnson and a rookie day for Alex Pillow, actually. Since the rookies did not get their proper rookie day during the season, well, they're making use of that. So the whole idea for me going down was actually a little charity surprise thing for a man, Mr. Dixon, Mr. Six-Time Champ. But he won't be there, but that's fine. I still need to see a couple of the other knuckleheads including our good pal Dario Franchitti, hopefully Jimmy as well, and Alex. So just going to be down there for a couple of hours, really not going down there for, quote, media purposes. But the team did say that if my camera happened to come along and I wanted to take some photos, well, they wouldn't be uh, too begrudging of that. So anyways, should be fun. Hopefully I don't generate total crap. And if I don't, And if I get a couple of photos or maybe a video or something that's of value, or I don't know, a podcast with a particular seven-time NASCAR driver who just retired, maybe you'll hear it here. So there you go. Uh, Can you tell I'm happy? I'm genuinely happy. Uh, Other thing that's just kind of funny. So as I said, I haven't done this traveling reporter type thing for more than a year. Oh, high comedy. I just, I'm so glad. We don't have webcams and whatever else up in and around the office and the house. If you could have seen me today trying to find things, 
uh, hey, microphone, hey, the charger for that, and the battery for here, and a camera, and hey, and what do you, and uh, uh, I still can't find the charger for my biggest, best camera, and uh, yeah, that charger's like $350. I've turned the place upside down, so can you tell I'm a little bit out of practice? Can you also tell that after the 2019 IndyCar season finale at Laguna Seca, where I rushed home afterwards with our vehicle packed full of all kinds of crazy gear. Uh, we moved like three days later. So <laughs> I didn't have a, a lot of time to actually organize what I brought to Laguna, and I think I'm paying for it right now. But anyways, yeah, and I'm a little nervous too, which is crazy, right? I've been doing this for a long time, but I guess when you're out of, uh, out of rhythm, well, there you go. So uh, on that charity thing, I hope to be sharing that information with you here shortly i think it's going to be pretty cool and i think some of y'all might want to get in on uh, what we're doing here going to a pretty awesome cause so let's get uh moving do i hear a music bed i hear a music bed oh that makes me happy we're gonna go first with andy rolf hey andy and also our pal right turn lover considering the recent announcement that elio castroneves will be returning to indycar with Myershank Racing. I don't recall an Indy 500 winning Penske driver ever racing for another team thereafter. Interested in your take on this development? Well, Danny Sullivan, uh, Mr. Spin and Win, 1985. He would leave Penske's team. He would head to Rick Gallus's team and, yeah, won some races and, or is that race or races? I forget if that's singular or plural, but... Uh, there's that. I uh, would also say Emerson Fittipaldi. And I know that this was in collaboration with Penske, but he was truly driving for Carl Hogan's team. So, yeah, two drivers that come to mind of Indy 500 winners of RPs that went elsewhere. I might be. I'm sure I'm forgetting something else. But uh, that's what comes to mind. Um Let's see, you know, I'll just mention this because it's a little some sometimes y'all say, hey, we really enjoy the process stories. I'll share this one as quickly as I can. So when your question came through, Andy, and I happened to see it on the good old tweeters, uh, I said, what uh, announcement that Elio is returning to IndyCar? That's because, well, uh, your boy got beat uh, by my pal, David Mousher, and it happens every now and then, and none of this is said in a negative way towards uh, Snoop Mousy Mouse. But when I read your question, that prompted me to realize that, oh, this embargoed thing that I'd been sitting on is apparently out. And yeah, boy, these are things where just the competitive juices, uh, they make you bristle a little bit. So I had filed this story I took a look Friday at 2.18 p.m. And, yeah, wasn't exactly sure when it was going to be announced. Uh, was led to believe it would be this week. But nonetheless, had the story filed, told everyone at Racer, here it is, could you please prep it? Not sure when, but at least we can go live with it ASAP if we need. Happened to speak with Elio today for a totally separate thing in that call. He happened in the interview itself, this is talking about IMSA and his final drive for Roger Penske, mentioned 
the shank bits. And I said, okay, awesome. Thanks. I'll, I'll hold those because I'd already had the embargoed release due for Tuesday morning. And so again, it's a little bit of background process stuff. So I put our updated story together, said, Hey, uh, here are some quotes from Elio. Here are some quotes from the embargoed release. This is what's meant to go live tomorrow morning at whatever, 6.30 Pacific uh, AM. And I get a note right back that says, uh, this went live 45 minutes ago uh, on another site. No quotes, but uh, yeah, this is no longer embargoed news. And I'm like, oh, man. So a little bit of checking back and forth with the uh, awesome PR team that looks after Meyershank Racing said, uh, hey, that thing we're planning to do of sitting on this embargoed announcement, uh, I, the toothpaste out of the tube, any any idea? And they said, all right, well, uh, we still have a little bit of uh, final approvals needed on a few things, uh, so definitely can't use the quotes that you got from the embargoed store. I said, yep, as expected. I said, well, here's the thing that's maybe a little interesting. I didn't use Elio's quote from your release in the story that I put together. I used the one he gave me on his own and it was unsolicited too. So that makes it even better, I guess. And, uh, another call checking and they finally came back and said, well, if that's what he told you on his own and that's what you got, uh, just go ahead and run it. Uh, since again, this is no longer something we can completely control. So, that's how we got to a me being beaten to a story that I filed three, four days before it came out. Uh, good play, fair play on, on Davy, and so again, no, uh, no issues there. But yeah, sometimes these things are a little bit funny, Andy, where everything's lined up, sequenced, and ready to go, and then you get a curveball. And just the little final note here, if you want to really know some inside baseball. I was sitting in this little kind of fish tank thing at my wife's uh, specialized physical therapy uh, joint. And so sitting there on a little couch with my little tiny crappy travel laptop, thinking that I'm going to be writing a bunch of stories about IMSA leading into the Mobile One 12 Hours of Sebring this weekend. And no, a little bit of crisis management and lots of phone calls back and forth. So there you go. Uh, if any of that process stuff is interesting, great. If not, Send me a note and tell me to shut up about that stuff. Uh, right turn lover, you say anything other than him using Firestones and a manufacturer branded Delara uh, carrying forward for Elio in 2021? Uh, also says uh, all the best for your better half and how are you getting along with your own health health challenge? Uh, today I completed the nuclear grade uh, antibiotic uh, ration, so all good there. Feel great and headed to a checkup a follow-up wednesday yeah with that same doc and also having my annual physical um that day as well so thanks for asking there um question about anything other than the delara and the firestones carrying him forward into 2021 not totally sure what uh uh, I'm struggling to discern the intent of the question there, uh, right turn lover. We'll mention this. Maybe it answers it. Maybe it doesn't. So the thing that I learned a couple weeks ago, whenever it was that I wrote about it uh, in a Silly Season update, um, it was that the Meyershank Racing team was debating 
what are we going to do? Are we going to hire a young driver, someone with a long runway that hopefully if they work out for us, then, hey, we've got two young guns. Or do we go with a true veteran and someone that's not just proven but can maybe help expedite Jack Harvey's development and make him and help make him into a race-winning driver uh, on a faster timeline? And having heard that they did not go with the youth route, well, it, uh, there were two candidates for this seat. That was Oliver Askew. And Elio Castroneves. And when I heard, whenever it was, week, two weeks ago, that it wasn't going to be the youth route, well, I uh, knew it was Elio felt bad for Oliver. Would just say, and this is my own two cents, not some sort of inside baseball from the uh, Shank team, I obviously hope that things go exceedingly well for Elio and that the team gets everything from him that they needed. Jack is a better driver than ever as a result of having Mr. Castroneves in the team. This time next year, Elio will be, what, 46? I don't know if this is truly meant to be a purchase compared to a rental in terms of having a guy like Elio in there. So who knows who might come along in the interim, but... Is there a chance Oliver Askew could be testing for Meyershank this time next year, possibly with an eye to being in that second car for, if we follow the Shank, uh, Jim Meyer and Mike Shank routine, uh, for what we would anticipate might be 10 rounds in 2022, right? Since they are uh, doing six this year uh, with the entry that Jack drives, that's what they did, Indy 500 first. Next year, they did six rounds, then 10, and then full-time. So just saying, I don't know what the runway is like for Elio with the team, but I would say before long, they're probably going to be going to the other option. They were weighing heavily, and that being youth. And yeah, uh, I would say Oliver is probably going to be on the market uh, at that point in time, still on the market, unfortunately. So yeah, I'm just going to keep that part in mind. Let's go to Dan Gallagher. Says, uh, this might be a Meyershank racing question, but what all is involved in buying a second-hand car, inspections, records, etc.? Normal routine? And I can't tell you, Dan, specifically what the MSR folks did here, but standard routine is to send somebody, if not one or two people, uh, could be manager type, um, not necessarily big overall team manager, usually more, uh, or let me rephrase that. Not a, the general manager, the, the, uh, big, more high profile types, but more of team manager is shop manager, uh, shop foreman type thing. And then possibly, uh, mechanic as well. And it is very much, yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you guys are a great team and all that kind of stuff, but, uh, we want to take a look in and see how you put the car together. The rules say that all the cars must be identical. We know that, again, there are some parts that teams can manufacture themselves, but the vast majority of the car is all spec and has to be bolted together uh, in the same way. But how you choose to run certain things throughout the car uh, the way that you're feeding lines, whether it's hydraulic, whether it is electronic, whatever kind of things, 
where you'd say, well, that's more of the look and feel part. That's the, that's the real creativity or, or individuality that gets expressed from team to team. Uh, do what kind of heat shrink do they use on the electrical wires? There's, uh, granted, this is a little bit old school stuff. I wouldn't expect to see this on an Indy car, but uh, there's some old kind of thick uh, plastic wrap that could be used, actual using it and spinning it and going and around and around and around to protect some lines that would go through an area that could chafe. Uh, where do you put the cable tie connections? Uh, what kind of cable ties do you use? Uh, is it the nice, expensive Thomas and Betts with the little, um, the little metal insert to hold, or are they the cheaper, just straight up pure plastic ones? All these little things, and it, what kind of washers do you use? Uh, are they AN super kind of aviation military grade, or are they? What are they? Most teams, again, you're going to find are pretty much identical because there's a really accepted way of how to do things right and present the car in the best possible way. Not everybody's up to those standards, though. Not everybody. So, Dan, uh, this would be a thing where a Marshank Racing would certainly send someone to take a look who would know the car, who's built them, understands all the things to look for that's going to tell you if it was put together by quality people who knew what they were doing, and uh, then report back. So... Yeah, beyond that, you know, the the crash history is certainly something that a lot of teams would be looking into. I'm not so much talking about, uh, you busted up the, uh, the hashtag front nose uh, or you knocked a corner off the car somewhere. I'm talking about real, actual damage to the tub, what you might call the safety cell. That's the big... Uh, critical structure has that thing been beaten up and repaired and beaten up and repaired the uh dragon speed car that marshank racing bought comparatively low miles only did what four races i think um there might have been a crash in there or whatever that i'm not remembering but i don't recall the car taking much of a beating so i don't think it would have been an issue here but yeah People who know what they're looking at, plus, oh, okay, well, if it has been repaired, seriously, tell me where, let me know, and I'm going to go talk to the, if you, well, most teams don't do it themselves, but I'm going to go talk to the folks who did to get a feel like, hey, <laughs> what do you think about this? Um, so that's kind of the normal thing, man. Uh, Nathan DeRover says, I'd love to know the story behind the uh, Dan Gurney for President campaign. Uh, anecdotally? If I recall, Nathan, this was the rather amazing uh, writer David E. Davis, and I think it was 1964 or so, and it was just a bit of a comical thing, um, a comical column, basically saying we don't think the candidates for president right now uh, give a fart about cars, enthusiast driving, knock on to that being racing and such. And so therefore we're going to nominate, uh, our own candidate who would and who does and would absolutely look after, uh, the, the country's motoring needs and motor racing needs and interests. And it just took off from there. I think the deal was if you wrote in and sent a dollar 
they would send you back a Dan Gurney for president bumper sticker. And it really just took off from there. So didn't get elected, unfortunately. Uh, But yeah, it just, I mean, I guess we could think of a few others in our sport, uh, IndyCar in particular, who maybe they would be good candidates. I'm just not just talking today, but throughout history that might be excellent uh, folks to consider for holding the highest office in the country. Am I saying something strange, though, by suggesting I'm struggling to come up with any who would rate higher than Dan in terms of uh, a straight moral arrow and a man whose character is pretty much unquestioned? Uh, let's go to David Goodhue. said, would you attribute some of the early season success of Ganassi and disappointment of Andretti to getting a grasp on how the aero screen was affecting handling? says, did you hear any talk from teams about difficulty getting on top uh, of the change in center of pressure it caused? Uh, not really on the latter part here, Dave. Um, I would just say that if we're... Diving into the Ganassi, how did they start so strong angle? Why was Andretti not so strong? These things happen. And granted, everybody had the arrow screen, right? So did Penske. Penske didn't exactly start the season on fire. Did well, obviously, but uh, everybody had the arrow screen. I would say that this is a bit normal to me, though, meaning it's not uncommon for a team or two, to come out of the gates really strong. It's kind of the interesting, but maybe not too fun part of each new season. And that is, we show up at St. Pete traditionally, this time Texas and onto the other adjusted schedule tracks that we had. And you find out, ooh, who got it right, who got it wrong during the offseason? Who spent their money in the right place or the wrong place? Who had the best ideas? Who had... I don't want to call them the worst, but by comparison, the worst ideas, things that obviously weren't working, you find out. (laughs) It's truly that simple. And there's always a winner and a loser among those that we expect to come out strong. This year, Ganassi won that race. And Andretti absolutely did not. And it took them a while to catch up. Key point, though, Everybody had the same relative lack of laps and knowledge of how to perfect their setups with the aero screen in place. So this is a thing where I wish I could say, oh, the Ganassi guys really got a a faster grasp. I think they just worked on some fundamentals on the car, did some really good R&D work would also say with Michael Cannon in place, a new race engineer for Scott Dixon, I would say that that opened a door to some new setup approaches. Having Dixon's longtime race engineer, Chris Simmons, in a new performance director role, now kind of overarching things, was able to find some areas to improve as well. I'd say it might be a little more personnel-based, then, ah, they figured out the aero screen better than others. I know that when I spoke with Michael Cannon or any of the other engineers attached to the various cars that they run, there wasn't a whole lot of, oh, yeah, we got this thing figured out. It was, we're all having to spitball this thing a little bit, but 
maybe by chance we're just starting the season with a little bit better direction on our overall setup. Scott Bell, does Scott Dixon get to keep the Astor Cup all year? Is it like the Stanley Cup where each team member gets a day to eat cereal and champagne out of it? That is a great question, Scott. I don't know, and I've actually wondered this for quite some time. Is this a new thing every year, or is it just the same one that gets passed around? Y'all might laugh at me for this. Mentioned many times that I've been a longtime fan of boxing and starting around the mid-2000s of MMA. I only recently learned, like within the last year, that the championship belt for whatever weight class doesn't go from new champion to new champion. Like uh, the Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, maybe. Like, hey, we made this thing however many years ago, and it just gets passed on to whomever wins the title. Um, It's a brand new one, and not just when a new person wins, but when the existing champion wins. So they effectively surrender the belt, and I think they get it back, but a new belt is made. And so if a person defends their belt however many times, they have however many belts. I didn't know that. But when I learned that, Scott, a couple years ago, I probably had the same kind of thought about the Astro Cup. Hey, is this just one thing that gets passed around, or does IndyCar pony up for a new one each year so that the team, whomever wins it, our driver can have the sucker. Another thing, I don't know. So I got to find out for you. Let's see. Let's go to Rob Ball. MP, what do you think of Joseph Newgarden? Uh, and what do you think his crew could do better to overtake Scott Dixon and possibly take back the championship? To think that the title came down to a stall in the pits at Road America. Um, you think that means he and the team might try to be more efficient in the pits? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a fluke, right? Uh uh, a stall in the pits has nothing to do with efficiency. That's just human error. Uh, just like cross-threading, it's kind of hard to do that, uh, a wheel nut, but uh, bungling a tire change, uh, not plugging in the fuel probe, for t- farting around there and making a mistake and not taking an extra two seconds or three seconds to get plugged in. Well, that's an extra two or three seconds. You are sitting idle in the pits going nowhere and losing a lot of ground on track. Uh, I mean, that stuff's kind of hard to change if you know that the mistakes that happened are uncommon within your team. Mistakes happen with every entry uh, at least once, twice, three times per year. It's just the law of averages. It's going to happen. But this, I would say, Rob, this is not so much just a pit lane or what you know i wouldn't put that down to anything uh what i would say though is this you can do that and say oh if this piece of misfortune hadn't happened to name whomever they could be the champion uh we've got 23 to 24 full-time drivers who could be champions if we take away that one two or ten things that they did wrong or just cartoon anvils rain from the sky and knocked them out uh, with the the new garden thing uh, just mention this real quickly and then uh, we'll jump to a couple more questions 
I know that there was a definite feeling, and I wouldn't disagree with it from the team, that, boy, it was a 14-round championship. If we had the full 17, heck, even if it's just 15, uh, I think we might be able to overtake Dixon. I agree with the general sentiment that that would be a possibility. I'd also throw in something that we saw at St. Petersburg for that season finale. And that was Dixon driving within himself. That was Dixon knowing what he had to do to win the championship. It's not like Joseph won. Dixie was seventh, just squeaked by two points or whatever it would have been to get the, to hold on to the title. Uh, Dixon raced his balls off. They essentially matched everything that new garden did. If Joseph pitted, they pitted want to make sure that they didn't get caught out. But I would say what we saw at St. Petersburg and I didn't mention it, think to mention it at the time. And I don't know if anyone else did. Um, I'm not saying Scott Dixon's car was good enough to chase down Joseph, pass him, and win, but it sure looked like there was a couple tents in hand. I can push harder. I can push as hard as Joseph, take more risks, but one of those risks might have me in the wall, and I might hand the championship to him. So I just need to cover him. And I'm going to cover him. And what did he come home third, I think, to Joseph's win? And, you know, I was watching lap times, was watching gap between uh, the two of them. And, you know, Dixon seemed to be able to wind up a little bit if he needed. If uh, Joseph got ahead, uh, better decision-making in traffic or better break in traffic. Uh, And Dixie felt like he was getting a little bit too far behind or whatever else. And there were a couple points where it was like, oh, he's on the boil. Look at that. So just the idea that if you take away this problem for Joseph, he's a champion. Well, you take away some of the problems Dixie had. He didn't have many, but that argument we could all always have, and it never really leads to anything. But I just don't know if there was enough recognition that Dixon was not 100% flat out at all times in the season finale. And if we did have another race or another race and another race, and this could keep going, and in theory, Joseph will keep chipping away at things. I don't know if that's totally the case. Uh, if Dixon had two or three more races to go, I think you would have seen him at maximum attack at St. Pete. Who knows who ends up the winner there or the next round. So that part fascinates me. Uh, all right. We're going to go to Ryan Terpstra, also our pal Daniel Summers Gill. Uh, Ryan asked, does IndyCar have backup dates for the first few events of the year in place? Should they make a backup plan? I presume fans will be uh, an important part of 2021's decisions. Daniel as well, with recent news of a potential successful vaccine for COVID-19 being available in the not-too-distant future, do you think IndyCar would consider pushing back the start of the season, say uh, four to six weeks, if this meant it were possible to accommodate more paying fans at the track? I love the way you think, Daniel, and your questions, my friend. I have to assume, to start with Ryan, that there have certainly been plenty of discussions and a look at alternate dates if needed. Backup plan for sure is needed. I think I mentioned this on uh, the last episode, but 
you know, we do this weird thing where it's like, Hey, it's a new year. Everything's fresh. We start over again. We have no guarantee when COVID-19 is going well. <laughs> uh, hopefully it doesn't turn into COVID-19, COVID-20, COVID-21 and so on. We don't know. So to your point, yes, we all mentally have our radars pointed towards the middle-ish of March for the start of the season. Actually, I think it's, what, the second week, but no guarantee. So I have to believe that based on what happened this year, there's a lot of contingency planning. Uh, Daniel, to your question, um, I mean, I like, love the, the concept of it. Do we know if we're going to have a vaccine that has successfully made it through all of the necessary trials to then say a four to six week delay would do it? Would that be two months, four months? Uh, I'd say the uncertainty there is what would probably derail this. So having to guess, purely guess. I would think IndyCar would go ahead with the season as scheduled, assuming there's no terrible COVID something stopping that from happening, and ride the uh, the vaccine possibility uh, into whatever reality, if and when that does happen. So, yeah, uh, I would imagine IndyCar would adjust as needed compared to just go ahead and straight altering things um, out of expectation for things to be better. Next up, it's our good pal, Jeremiah Morell, MP's crystal ball of the week, 2021 number of full-time entrants and more fun. The number of entrants for the 2021 Indy 500. Are we looking at another 33 cars and zero bumping in six months? Well, no, uh, not at all, man. If everything goes the way that it should, I would say 35 to 36 would be the number that on the super edge of my balding head, that's where I'd put it. And if I really wanted to take the time, we could run through each entry and or I'm sorry, each team and all the potential entries, but we won't do that because we have limited time today. Full-time entrance, meaning full-time leader circle fights. Huh? I see where you're going here, Jeremiah, trying to get into that top 22. If we aren't at 25 to 26 full-time, I will be surprised. Um, yeah, I mean, I'd say 25-ish, what I think, maybe 26 full-time, knowing that there will be some that we sprinkle in on occasion. But yeah, up a couple and that's pretty darn awesome, right? Uh, let's see. Where are we going next? J.J. Gartler. How you doing, J.J.? Marshall, understanding this question is pure speculation. What drivers or teams are going to have a substantially better 2021 than 2020? Besides Hinch, of course. You name the team that I would point to in particular, that being the Andretti of the Auto Sports. have to believe that they are going to go into 2021 angry, knowing that the form they showed late in the year was the kind of thing that had it been there at the start of the year, a Herta, Rossi, Hunter Ray could have been champion. So I would say them, 
depending on who they hire, I would say don't sleep on coin and hire. I mean, I misspoke totally and I'm not going to fix this. This is my unpolished turd. Whomever they decide to sign a deal with slash hire, maybe. Um, I think Santino is going to be a more consistent and more threatening driver in year three, threatening in a positive way, not pissing everybody off, hopefully way, assuming that they continue forward. Um, Whomever they put in that second car, assuming that they are very good, I think they could have a stronger year for sure. The one that really jumps out, though, I would say, well, the Foyt team, I think, is going to be the de facto um, most improved player award winner at the end of the season. I've mentioned in a silly season piece, a couple of the drivers who might occupy the number four entry. I'm aware of another one, and... If they stay in that general frame of those that I know that they have spoken with, they could have a really serious two-car combo. And based on what Sebastian was able to do at St. Pete, Charlie as well, um, yeah, looking at how well Dalton ran in testing at Barber here, whatever, a week ago. Yeah, so Seb can't do it all by himself. We know that. I really do hope they're able to put a person alongside him that is contributing to the on-track part, not just the uh, bank account part. And if that's the case, yeah, I think that's the easy uh, most improved award winner at the end of 2021. The one that I would say, boy, I I think this is going to be, I mean, heck, I'm kind of running through all the teams now, aren't I? Uh, The one that jumps out where... They've been there, thereabouts across the whole span of the last season, even last the previous year and such. It's Ray Hall Letterman landing in racing. So Takuma Sato won the Indy 500. That's as big as it gets, right? So there, there's no disrespect there. But if we talk about not running fifth or sixth or third or fourth, right? Graham had a really good year. Be really good. Seriously, didn't want to race. Okay, we know that. He wanted to, obviously, but I mean the guy ended up sixth in the championship. Uh what two, three podiums was really competitive in Indy alongside Takuma. Uh Takuma had what, I think two podiums. Uh really tailed off uh towards the end of the year though, but this is a team that it's been a little while since it felt like they were capable of mixing it up with the Penske's, Ganassi's, and Andretti's on more than an occasional basis. What I'm really curious to find out about, though, without a doubt, JJ, is with Eddie Jones retiring, Takuma's race engineer, uh, with Eddie Jones, although he's not the technical director, just being that old, wise head, who offered so much value to the team. Who do they replace him with? What does the overall engineering structure look like? Where do they go in terms of R&D decisions to try and find that little bit that was missing everywhere except for the 500? I mean, there's something there for sure. And then the last one I'll throw into, 
Uh, I mean, Ed Carpenter Racing seems like they really started to find a good direction by the end of the year. I'm talking road and street courses. Ed had a disastrous year on the ovals. Renus, not so much. Obviously, driving for Carlin, Connor was a rocket most of the time, but they certainly would appear to have some oval ground to gain. But at least on the road, street courses, they looked like they were showing us something. So I think we're talking about a lot of teams that have a great potential to be better. And as for drivers, I'm going to pass on that right now because, again, uh, that'll take 20 minutes to get through. Uh, Corey Matthews, aside from COVID things, what is something you're most looking forward to for IndyCar in 2021? Uh, I'm hoping to see more viewers in general, but also if Jimmy Johnson brings some NASCAR fans over um, and if they can see how great the racing is in IndyCar, dot, dot, dot. Hmm. I would say next generation talent becoming holy crap championship caliber talent in terms of the results on track and vying for a title cannot overlook the fact that mr no years old i mean what is he 2021 colton herta uh third in the championship patricio award 21 years old fourth in the championship Got to go back a little ways before you get to the next youngish driver, that being Felix Rosenquist. Granted, he's a bit of an old man. Uh, he just turned 29 of all things, so, geez, he's getting ready for retirement. But got to go back a little ways, right, into the teens. Santino Ferrucci, Renus and whatnot, Jack Harvey, Alex Pillow and whatnot. But the thing I'm looking forward to the most next year, at least at this stage of the question being asked, is... Hmm. If things go well and Andretti gets off to a stronger start, if Aaron McLaren SP continues this amazing progress that they generated in their first year together with this rebooted package, could we be talking about Herta and Award? And who knows? Maybe. Uh, who knows? I mean, I know Rossi. I guess I kind of skipped by him for uh, no particular reason. That's dumb of me. I mean, he's he's 29. All right. I mean, he's this side of 30, so we'll still go still go with being young. But, you know, I'm just stoked. I really am. Uh, we're at a place where there are a few too many years, for sure, Corey, where I held a mild worry of, Who's going to replace the the Elios, the the Canons, the Montoyas, the Darios, the some of the older generation? They're just going to age out naturally. Um, well, folks will fill their void, but will they be of the utmost quality and skill? Right? You got some soft years or eras. Very happy to say, there's no chance of that happening. We got some monsters who I think are going to be ready to make it very uncomfortable for some of the older established champs or uh, even the the young mid-career champs like a Joseph Newgarden. Uh, let's see. Our pal John Wojnar, a.k.a. John Ranjow. MP, what tribute liveries do you plan on using for your show logos next year? Says, love the Danny Young Gaius one for the week in IndyCar. The Eagle Toyota for the weekend sports cars and the Momo Ferrari you used for uh, your inside the sports car paddock, respectively. 
always praying for you and your wife. Thank you, John. For real. Uh, I don't take those statements lightly. I don't know. Give me ideas. Uh, I try and do things that amuse me. They're whim on a whim. I don't know if they're whimsical, but on a whim. I uh, even tried messing around a bit. I think last year had, uh, and I mean 2019, not last season. I think with our weekend sports cars, we used a bit of a generic LMP2 car and dressed it in 90s Target Chip Canassi livery with the little lightning bolt because, hey, why not? Um, so I don't know. Give me some ideas. I have no conception of what they will be i don't know if inside the sports car paddock is still going to live as a show uh so maybe that's going to be retired but definitely try and come up with something new for the weekend indycar and weekend sports cars so if any of you have ideas and i'm not looking for like uh you know do the golf whatever livery or the uh, martini liver. I'm not talking the generic ones that everyone's seen and everyone probably loves, but obscure ones that look good, I guess, is that's the uh, only proviso here. What last year for IndyCar uh, did, I think, Oriel Servia's Telefonica uh, PPI livery, right? So again, just I'm looking for different, strange, offbeat, but I would say awesome. So Throw in your ideas. I love this stuff. Uh, international flair is the theme from Frederick Wakeman. Or is that Walkman? I apologize. I don't know. I'm bad at pronouncing last names, even my own. Uh, half the time in the house, I refer to my wife as Mrs. Purette. Not Pruitt, but Purette. Because for whatever reason, a surprising number of folks that we meet, it's usually if you're going to a place where you have an appointment and they call your name, uh, the R and the U get swapped somewhat frequently. Mr. Purett, and I just roll with it. So jokingly, I refer to her as Mrs. Purett. So sorry, Frederick, if I just uh, smack the hell out of your last name unintentionally. Uh, hope you, your wife, and cats are well. Says Indy is American, but now with several international drivers on the grid. 2021. Think of two drivers from each country and how a national championship, how a na national competition would end. Question two, can you technically make an entire British or Swedish team with only national members? Um, well, I'll start with the, the premise here, Frederick. Um, IndyCar has always had a very international grid in my lifetime, even preceding my lifetime. By and large, we're talking the 60s is where it really took off. We know for sure that decades prior, the Indy 500 in particular, lots of international guests uh, and heck, the original Indy 500 and more uh, was very international. But just in terms of this being a regular thing every round wherever we go, nothing new there, my friend. Uh, let's see. Think of two drivers from each country and how a national competition would end. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking. Um, can you technically make an entire British or Swedish team with only national members? More than technically, you absolutely could. Keep in mind that for quite some time, uh, English, mechanics, engineers, you name it, were absolutely commonplace in 
seemingly every IndyCar team and work on down all the junior formulas as well. And also lots from Australia and lots from New Zealand. So yeah, you absolutely could. Um, and I'm sure that you could do the same with Swedish crew members. Maybe, I don't know how many are kind of top tier open wheel experienced, but, uh, there's a lot of motorsport going on in Sweden as there has been for quite some time. So I'd have to believe that you could Bob Gravel says, I watched a YouTube series recently, about the greatest NASCAR driver to never win a championship. That being Mark Martin made me wonder who fits that title for IndyCar. Hmm. Who would we trying to think a little more in the modern era? Uh, do I remember if Parnelli Jones was a IndyCar champion? My brain is failing uh, a little bit there. Greatest to do it, but never to win a championship. Wow. That's a great question, Bob. And I feel like, yeah, it's 10, 10, 1 PM. I had to take a little break, by the way. Um, I feel like I should be able to come up with more things that are, are just right off the top of my dome to answer this. And I'm struggling to do that. There's some where you go, we lost them too soon, right? Everyone would say, myself included, that Greg Moore certainly had all the the talent uh, to be a many times over champion. Um, I would have to say probably the most obvious one, uh, and it's it's a modern era thing, but the it's a sorry for the obscure uh, soap opera reference for those who are young and maybe wouldn't know or care, but the Susan Lucci of Emmy awards. Um, the one that nominated every year, never won until I think basically the very end of her career, but it was a running joke that every year should be nominated, uh, in their, whatever category of best soap opera actress. And most folks would agree that she's probably was the best, but she'd never get it. Um, That'd be Elio Castroneves, right, Bob? I mean, he's about to finish his 20th year driving for Roger Penske. I know the last three have been full-time in IMSA, but if you think about 17 years straight, and those 3500s are hard to, uh, hard to discount, but your question here is championship. It's kind of sort of got to be Elio, right? I mean, we know that there are a lot of bridesmaids, at, Indy, at the Indy 500, where you go, oh my goodness, they're so amazing, but never got that win. It's not Elio's problem. It's the championship, IndyCar championship. Oddly enough, if things go well for he and his teammates this weekend at Sebring, he could clinch his first championship for Roger Penske in his final race. Uh, so that would be pretty cool. But I'd say that has to be Elio, right? I mean, the guy runner-up so many times never got there and he's, he's never been shy about saying it's a hole it's a definite hole in his body parts uh in his soul that he doesn't have uh, a title to his name uh let's see elite fleet or is that elite flight but spelled funnily uh, hello marshall i hope all is well with you and your wife my question missed the cut last week so i've sent it again thank you 
Has there been any thought from anyone within IndyCar that the current chassis has reached its performance limit? Seems like we won't be getting a new chassis in 22 or 23. While I understand the financial reasons for it, it's kind of disappointing in my opinion to continue using this chassis for a couple more years. Uh, I'm no engineer, but I think the issues with the car in regard to passing at some tracks are inherent issues of the DW12 chassis, uh, and I'd like all of them to be fixed in a new chassis soon. Getting any news on that front? Uh, no, not right now, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Elite Fleet. It's one of the weird things about screen names that don't necessarily lead you in a direction. So Reddit in particular, a lot of the, the screen names, you know, I don't, I might assume you're a man, but you might not be. So, hey, we're gender neutral here and we don't know. Uh, no, disagree. There's there's nothing here really to say that uh, the issues with passing are inherent with the chassis. Uh, that chassis has been through, what, four to five significant aero iterations. Sometimes they wouldn't throw away the bodywork, but they'd make a big change here or there add a hole in the floor, do this, do that, uh, go to manufacture aero kits, cut back on the downforce on the manufacture aero kits, go to the new swoopy, beautiful beautiful looking stuff in 2018, but make lots of changes to that. They've been all over the place. We've seen races with this current chassis at, say, just the Indy 500, where there's passing galore. And we've seen races where there haven't been. And so it's not inherent with the car. It's arrow and yeah so to your primary question though elite fleet no direction on when we will be getting a new chassis i need to spend probably an hour on the phone with jay fry try and get caught up on a lot of things some of them just throwing in uh some of your y'all's questions here um that i don't have immediate answers to this is something where the question that I will ask will not be what year do you think it will be? Uh, instead of going straight to that, the question I will ask is how have the variety of negative financial impacts on IndyCar and the Indy 500 in 2020 shaped the timing and ability to commission new chassis? So that's a big deal. Uh, it's, it's, it's not as if Delara does all this stuff in isolation. I mean, obviously you've got to pull in a number of vendors that are all part of this, but you know, this really is something where IndyCar has to be able to do this with new chassis has to have vendors, whether it's the engine suppliers, gearbox, tire, whatever else that can support this. Are they in a strong enough position to do so? just throwing this out general observation or comment a wheel manufacturer uh, whomever they might want to go with even if it's a current one uh, hey how have you been hit by covid how has this set back your production capabilities are you on the brink of collapsing as a company because who knows just saying these kinds of things really do have to be taken into account and if you're saying, all right, we do want to get going with a new chassis, who do we want to be a part of this? There's, I'm just generalizing, there's a hundred vendors uh, from top to bottom to be involved. If we had this conversation one year ago, 
we'd say we're green lighting it. Everything would be going forward. No question. Right now, there's probably a lot of due diligence that needs to be done to find out how are all the vendors that we work with and like and or the second options, how are they doing? And are there any areas where we might have to say, oh, yeah, we might have to go push this back a little bit further because uh, some segments of our industry aren't whole and aren't in a good, good place to do this. So that's kind of sort of what I will be trying to figure out here once I can, once I have some time, this being a week where we're traveling five every day this week and to usually more than one appointment in a different town. Crazy busy week. Uh, so maybe next week. Jeff Markoski, do you think another chassis supplier will be, uh, will make, will make into the series into the next, do I think another chassis is going to be coming in? Uh, no, uh, I think we're going to have Delara as the one and only. I don't foresee a time unless Delara opts to no longer make race cars. I think Delara is just going to be IndyCar's chassis supplier kind of sort of in perpetuity unless there's a change there. Uh, Jerry Suddeth, I know IndyCar will create a replacement for the DW12 at some point for this new car. What are parts of the car? Uh, that the series can trim weight without sacrificing safety or adding expensive but lighter parts. I know the current car is much heavier than it was ever supposed to be. Amazing question, Jerry. I think about this at least a couple times a month, and I am still coming back rather stumped. Of the things that you cannot sacrifice with a new indie car it is all of the you might hit the wall head on at 240 miles an hour at indianapolis and the car has to be able to withstand it and deform and crush in certain areas but also stay rock solid in others uh, to provide safety for the driver and those things at present, with the current state of uh, technology in the world, those things aren't super light. So if that changes, I'm sure it will. These things always do over time. But who knows if it'll happen before this next chassis gets made. There just isn't a ton that I can think of where you go, oh, there's 50 pounds. Oh, there's another 50. Uh, there's 50 more. And there's another 50. We have found a 200-pound weight saving. That's the kind of stuff that I'm thinking is going to need to happen. Now, could you start going to? I know you said without adding expensive but lighter parts. This is one of those... This is one of those speed costs, how fast you want to go type scenarios. Uh, weight reduction costs how much more nimble and faster do you want to go at what price? And so do you start making things that are currently manufactured out of metal, possibly light metal? Uh, do you start doing things in carbon fiber? And this is what Formula One does. And that's why they cost so much money and so many people are required. Everything is made out of precious materials. Uh, making everything out of 
magnesium, titanium, something that's strong but super light. Big pieces made out of big chunks of billet of super expensive and trick alloy. Again, man, I wish I had an easy answer for you, but I don't because we're stuck with what we got. So here's the part, just to close, Jer, that this is where your question is so on point. If we were just doing the same thing, slightly larger displacement motor, it's not going to be really physically like, whoa, that's a bigger motor. Be bigger displacement, internal displacement. But we're going from a 2.2 liter twin turbo V6 to a 2.4 liter twin turbo V6. If that was really all we had to think about with this next new chassis, I think you could take some weight off the car that would do something. We're bolting on a heavy-ish mechanical hybrid system into the bell housing. It's metal. It spins up. It's the motor generator unit. It is what captures that kinetic energy and ends up making its way into a battery to be held. And then the battery sends it back and there's converters and inverters and all kinds of verters going on. Those things aren't light, my friend. Yeah. I don't know what the number is going to be of what this overall uh, curves system, what we also expect to have some sort of, uh, I'm not sure what it's going to be, but something that will also work on the ovals without regenerating through braking. I don't know what the number is going to be, but if you told me it's going to be a hundred pounds, 150 pounds, I would be, would not be super surprised. We know that an IMSA with a very similar, if not almost identical thing, right? Um, yeah, there the minimum weights going up. What? hundred, 150 pounds for this next generation prototype in 2023 strictly to match the excess weight coming with this the hybridization uh this this kinetic energy recovery system so if it's heavy now jerry i'm sure they can find some efficiencies in manufacturing and whatever whatever to make the tub a bit lighter and I'm sure they can find some other things to do that are token-ish. But unless we're talking very expensive and exotic materials throughout the car to get the number down, it's still going to have the these lumps of weight with the battery and the MGU and whatever other uh, bits going into the car as well with this. It's going to be heavy, man. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Bob Gravel, you're back, says if you had to set up a different commentary team for IndyCar, who would you choose? I'd be hard-pressed not to choose the Formula E team of Jack, Dario, and Nikki. They are the best I've ever heard and would love to bring them over to IndyCar. Who jumps to mind for you? Um, love to have Dario. I mean, really would. Um, I wasn't sure when he first started doing Formula E commentary if it was really his thing. And it's been awesome to see him just grasp it with both hands and really step into things. And, and I, yeah, so would love to have Dario in there. Dario would bring something 
to the color driver analyst side that we don't have because while it's been seven years since he drove an Indy car, this is someone who each weekend is on the timing stand plugged in knows everything that's going on with the cars, the good and the bad the challenges, the uh, positives understands by working directly with some of the best drivers in the series of what's going on. This is somebody who has the pulse of being able to offer analysis about the car and driving side, but also the psyche of the driver, the challenge. I mean, it'd be amazing if he was there. So uh, I'll give you a big thumbs up on that. I would, I wouldn't want to go totally different. I love my pal Lee Diffie. I think he's amazing at what he does. You know what I think would be kind of cool because, you know, granted it should be our man, Robin Miller. They, they don't make much use of him. I was just going to say our pal, Bob Varsha. Now you go, wait a minute. Lee's, you know, the host, the lead. Um, what would Bob do there? I'd say he could bring some cool angles and history that we don't seem to get very much of. So just saying, if they're not going to use Robin much, then maybe Bob, who's called everything, including IndyCar, Champ Car, Cart back in the day, um, that might be uh, an interesting voice to add uh, alongside Lee's. Uh, who do I love listening to? I apologize. I'm brain farting a little bit. I mean, really? Um, I'd say Alan McNish. Why not? I love listening to we Al. Um, he's pretty darn good. I don't think he knows much about IndyCar, uh, these days, but yeah, I love the idea of Dario. Uh, I think he, boy, um, he, yeah, that would be crazy. Tony Kanon, right? Obviously, uh, he, he was pretty amazing in the stuff that I heard him do this year, knowing that Dario has a job already and in theory won't be free each weekend. I think throwing TK in there, um, no disrespect to anybody, but when he was in the booth doing driver, uh, analysis, color commentary, no one else was even close. Uh, and Hinch, obviously Hinch is amazing too truly amazing but we don't want him in the, well hell i don't even want tony in there but uh since we think hinch is going to be very busy next year using his hands and feet for making cars go fast we don't know how many races tk might be doing man i'd love i mean if granted tk and dario in there that'd be hilarious that would be hilarious but uh yeah love where you're going here bob uh, okay, Lance Snyder, this is the last question before we go into overtime. And do I grant myself a cough that I've been holding? Sure. <coughs> Sorry, just woke up our cat, Rosie. I'm going to take a sip of coffee too, which I shouldn't do at 10, 19 p.m. It says, with the passing of Alex Trebek, this is a Jeopardy-themed question. Which three drivers would you put on a serious Jeopardy episode? And which three drivers would you put on for tomfoolery and comedic but always wrong answers, much akin to SNL? 
uh, akin to SNL Celebrity Jeopardy skits. So, drawback. Yes. Uh, How did we lose Sean Connery and Alex Trebek in the span of a week or so? Uh, Two weeks. Boy, that's terrible. Although, granted, it was Daryl Hammond playing uh, Sean Connery on SNL Celebrity Jeopardy. That was pretty amazing. Uh, And the jokes about his mother. I mean, come on now. Uh, The best. Yeah. Uh, Serious Jeopardy episode. Okay, I mean, I feel like we follow along some pretty similar lines here. And I don't know if it's just because, well, maybe it's just because we don't have a lot of IndyCar drivers. So when questions like this come up, who would be the serious one? Who would be the funny ones? It's kind of a known group uh, where you'd have to bring in Jerry Hildebrand, right? I know he's not a full-time by any means, but right. So we know that him's smart. Uh, Dalton Kellett, another university graduate. Um, and I have a feeling that he knows a lot of obscure things. Where else do we go? Where do we go for our third really sharp, sharp cookie? And it's funny how almost, um, by subtraction, uh, maybe not giving some of the others a big vote of confidence on the depth of their gray matter. I got to go with our man, Charlie, uh, Charlie Murphy. Uh, good old Charlie Kimball, another super brainiac guy between Chuck Dalton and Jr. Uh, I think we're in pretty good shape for the silly. Let's see if I can come up with something that's just not totally predictable. I mean, I, I want to say Rossi because again, the guy can't underestimate how smart and funny he is. I'd say he could do very well as well, but I feel like he doesn't retain things that aren't really pertinent and of uh, obvious value to him. I feel like Charlie knows so many random ass things that no matter what category was chosen, uh, he'd be right there. Same with Jr. Dalton, there's some assumption here, but again, the kid's pretty smart. <sighs> Silly. Again, we go the willpower. Colton Herta, for sure. He is... If smart assery was a performance index and, like, points in the driver championship, smart assery was awarded points based on quality and volume, I mean, I think Colton Herta wins that championship every year, so that's for sure, right? Uh, Yeah, the kid's razor sharp and razor razor fast sure rapier whip fast brain of his would be yeah that would be i think that would be pretty hilarious um i'd throw in renus just because the amount of time it takes for english to convert uh in his mind filtering through Dutch, there's enough of a delay where I think it would actually be hilarious. And so that's not picking on Renus. I speak zero of his native tongue. So, uh, again, full respect to him. But there's just that slight buffering. The little little wheel, the little clock is spinning. Uh, when you speak to him, you can just see the thing come into his ears and kind of run around a little bit 
get the translation done, and then co- answer comes back at you. I think it might just be funny because I think he'd run out of time and there'd be a lot of buzzer beeps uh, as he ran out of time. Um, I mean, again, you want to go to Connor Daly, right? But he's he's always there. Uh, Hinch, of course. I'm just trying to think of an alternate here. James Davison. Got to be a good old sexy James Davison. He's so good at what he does, right, in terms of driving race cars. He's a very observant person. I, I'm often impressed when he spells his name the same way twice. So, yeah, um, that could also just be some comedic value based on just getting every answer wrong. I feel like he'd get a lot of answers wrong. If they weren't about racing or women, um, yeah, I think our man might struggle a little bit. Thanks for sending that in, Lance. Uh, that is the end of the show in terms of the main show. And, hey, we got it done in less than an hour and a half. Heck, less than an hour and 20. So, yeah, hey, uh, I didn't necessarily fail there. So that gives us a little bit of time for overtime. For those of you that got to go, I'm going to say thank you to you and your great questions uh, or just the ones that you like listening to that others sent in. Please, if you're a listener to the show and you have not sent in questions, I put out the call every Monday on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page and on my personal at Marshall Pruitt Twitter feed. I don't have an impersonal Twitter feed or a business Twitter feed, so it's just my own. Um, and then those also get the question requests get thrown on to Reddit as well in the Reddit IndyCar group. So if you're a listener, you wanted to ask questions, please do. I always really like it when folks uh, say, Hey, uh, first time, long time and send something in, uh, Cooper tires and the justice brothers. You rock. You make my world go round bell racing helmets. USA. You make our brains safe. And finally, torontomotorsports.com. You make us laugh and happy with memorabilia and stickers and t-shirts and cool stuff. So that's the end of the main show. Now we're going to dive into a very brief period of overtime. And I'm going to make a little timestamp here so I know where this is exactly. And I'm going to see how how many I can rattle through. First one here is Vinny from Twitter. It says, no question, but just wanted to wish you and your queen the best of health. Oh, that's really sweet, Vinny. Says my fiance doesn't listen to the podcast, but she entertains me by letting me talk about it with her. Look at that. Uh, your fiance sounds pretty darn awesome. You want to know a little inside scoop? You want to know who never asks about the podcast and appreciates what it is, but doesn't really give a crap because she's got her own life and her own interests. That'd be my wife. So yeah, Hey, there you go. Uh, Vinny goes on to say, every time I bring the podcast up, she asks how your wife is doing and how the cats are. Hopefully we can meet you next year at Indy. Would love to do that. I know I made a better effort. Uh, it's been a couple months, maybe know that I made better effort to provide some updates on how things are going on at the home front. Uh, at the beginning of the show, and I haven't done that for a while. And it's for no particular reason other than probably one of time, just trying to jump in as quickly as I can, and I don't want to double the length of uh, 
whatever preamble before we get to the uh, main Q and a. So can just tell you, and maybe I'll, I'll remember to do a little bit deeper of one next time, but things are going super well, like super, super well, uh, all positives. And that's pretty awesome. And this is something where that wasn't always the case for a long time. That wasn't always the case. Uh, there were positives, but there were often some negatives, if not daily negatives that we dealt with and were fighting through and we've gotten to a really good place and the, the fight's not over. It's going to be going on for a considerable amount of time. Don't know how long, but we know it's going to be a while, but just tell you, um, we've been in a good place here at home and it was just strange for actually being the, uh, the patient <laughs> there for a week or two. So hopefully neither of us before too long, our patients trip hazard MP. Did you get any more indie aero test feedback from the other drivers? What's the chances of IndyCar just submitting and redesigning the front wing? That question, the second question, uh, I've heard it from more than one driver and it's not necessarily a brand new thing. Uh, it isn't necessarily something that just came out of that test. I know I mentioned uh, the driver that I spoke with who was in that test but did not name. Um, definitely said, hey, why don't we stop farting around with all the little bits and bobs and whatevers and let's just redo the front wing so it does what we need. Um, it's not the first time I've heard that. I've heard that multiple times, but I'm talking th- three to four drivers, not 10 to 15 haven't gotten any more indie aero test feedback. I just haven't asked. Uh, it's behind us right now. And yeah, uh, I hate to say this because in normal times in our home life, this would be something that I really stayed on top of chased down the other drivers and did a deeper dive. I got to admit, and I, I feel bad saying it, but I'm just, I always try to be honest with you. I don't have that time right now. Uh, whether it is the lack of actual physical time on the clock to do it or more often than not the mental time. Uh, hell, I know I don't have a lot of time here before I got to go, uh, but I'll just share this as well and share it late in the show, I guess. So everyone, just about everyone, I would imagine, has been dealing with covid lockdown, restrictions, all the things that we know. Uh, Just about everybody has been forced to deal with the restrictions, limitations, bad news coming in each day. Uh, If we want to talk uh, election cycle for the past many months, a daily volley from all sides of hate and bad yelling, whatever, Lots of people angry at all times with all that COVID to deal with the challenges, ongoing challenges on the home front. Uh, The one thing I've found that works for hashtag me personally to get through this is mental compartmentalization. Is that the correct word? A quick example, I get a certain number of DMs and emails from 
whether it's friends, colleagues, or listeners and readers on a daily basis. Um, some of them could be super close colleagues, uh, like real close friends. A year ago, year and a half, two years ago, they'd probably get an immediate response. I had one come in on, I think, Friday night. And this is a person who, like, you know, we're as lock solid as you get and always right back and forth with each other. And what he sent, which was amazing and kind and loving and so many things, I wasn't able to process it. I read it, but I just, I couldn't and needed to take the weekend, uh, needed to exhale, needed to yada, yada, yada. And a af- mid-afternoon today, I finally responded to him. Year, two years ago, immediate response. Now, knowing that this is a mix of thought and analysis, um, opinion, and emotion that I would need to match and return because those are all the things in the message that was sent to me. I just, I knew that I was not there and could not handle it. And it wasn't anything like, you know, heavy, hey, a marriage proposal or you're fired or you're hired. It was none of that, just a really nice communication, but it was very deep. A lot of those things, uh, and some of you know, uh, who've sent me DMs or whatever else, and you don't get a response for a couple days. It's not because I don't care. It's because, honestly, I'm kind of frequently working at about 99% mental processing capabilities, emotional process capabilities, um, you know, being the, the one and only uh, person that isn't my wife and our relationship in our house. You know, uh, I got a house to run, a lot of things to do and mix all those things together. And I just find that, boy, I got to push some things off that are normally a real easy. I got to get to a place where my, uh, emotionometer, <laughs> uh, whatever ometer is down to like 50% capacity or 70%. So no, that's a little bit of a weird thing to get into here towards the end of the show, but this, did I get more indie arrow test feedback from other drivers? Just saying, I feel bad because this is normally the kind of thing I would chase down so hard and not let go of just been realizing more and more, gotta let it go because i can't i just can't do some of that stuff right now uh our pal oscar c love how you doing oscar says going to my first indy 500 in 2021 what is there to do in speedway indiana well the quote downtown which is right next to the speedway there's some cool really cool stuff there what i would recommend though oscar is I wouldn't say right now, uh, maybe later this year, earlier next, uh, shoot me an email, a DM or whatever, and we'll come up with a really good list for you. Hoping and assuming it will be a normal 500, not no fans, not whatever, but actual, all the festivities happen, all the kinds of things that were shut off this year. Assuming those things happen, 
helps to build out a, a more interesting visit. So love that you're going and, um, please just make a note, tell Siri, tell Alexa, tell whomever, uh, to set a reminder, to send me a note here, probably mid December, uh, late December. And, uh, yeah, we'll get it figured out. Uh, Michael Steenblick. Hey, I figured out a new way to race street circuits, downtown insert city. All traffic lights are in play and require drivers to obey signals. Failure to do so will have driver points taken away. What about the awesome standing starts and the locking brakes and flat spotted or think about awesome standing starts, locking brakes and flat spotted tires. Oh, first of all, I think Michael, the race would be run on Firestone wets treaded tires because we'd just be having nonstop punctures from all the locking brakes and flat spots from having to uh, not be able to go through an intersection because of the traffic signals and the points uh, ramifications. So I love that where I have a mild worry though is someone or more than one person, a team would figure out a hack and there'd be somebody pressing little beep boop boop buttons to make sure that uh, they get the green when their driver is approaching. And the minute they get through hitting that, uh, they're not, we're not even going to yellow. We're going straight to red lights. So yeah, there'd be teams just straight up hacking everything for sure. Good though. If you're a hacker, uh, let's see, where else are we going here? Uh, couple more and then we're uh, gonna say farewell where are we at on the old clockety clock yeah we're right at about an hour and a half wrap here uh ethan patrick hey ethan says how does Andretti autosport absorb the cost of marco's program without the million dollar leader circle contract i don't mean this to sound flippant uh they find another million bucks uh i mean it's just a need they gotta uh absorb this is something where they missed the mark unless IndyCar wants to do something very generous and say, "Ah, we're going to give you one. Just don't tell anybody. This is just a case where whatever amount of millions they needed to find to button down Ryan Hunter Ray's return and money for Colton Herta and money for what we hope is Hinch. You know, this is just another million to add on top of the gross sum required uh brian burrell mp so a lot of folks stuck at home doing e-learning and teaching their kids so which driver just found their next career uh which kids will be the the next dumb and dumber and the next simmons that being chris simmons and ben bretzman uh which driver just found their next career uh I really should have gotten to this one earlier, Brian. I have no idea what you're talking about, and I don't think it's you. I'm pretty confident it's just me being an idiot, so I'm sorry. Uh, Joe Izzo, where does Jimmy Johnson fall in 2021? I can see him picking up the two seconds he was behind at Barber during the test, but can he get that last tenth to get himself into the top five or top ten? Also says, best wishes to you, Mrs. Pruitt. Thanks, man. I can see Jimmy getting a lot of that two seconds, but not all of it. Uh, I don't think we're talking about getting down to a tenth from being in the big happy party at the front of the field. 
I think it's going to be a while till he gets there. The guy's just starting to learn how to do this. Uh, I know that we got another question that came in late that who knows, maybe it'll get thrown into part two here by our man, Tim, uh, about, you know, really just casting big old shadow, uh, on Johnson. And he was so far off at Barber and I'm like, okay, uh, it's the second time he's ever driven an Indy car ever, right? 44 year old guy who I know they have road courses, a couple of them each year in cup, but again, a guy who's not a road racer. He did a handful of sports car races a long time ago. This is total. This is yeah. What did Dario always say about his adventure into NASCAR? Uh, yeah, I needed more than one year to get this figured out. Of course, he did ovals and IndyCar and was good on them, but totally different car, totally different tracks, totally different discipline. Uh, yeah, give me more than a year to figure this out. And I think I'll be okay. Uh, that's where Jimmy Johnson falls in 2021, Joe. And I know you weren't the one who posed that, but, um, you know, the, the negative stuff, as I think I mentioned on the last episode or maybe the one before that, I'm all about year two for Jimmy. Uh, I'd say provided he is not way slow, two seconds off at places. Uh, if he's within one second, of the leader, whether, whether that's qualifying or, or race laps, you know, uh, that's going to be pretty damn good because if you think about the speeds demonstrated by those who are lifelong road racers and have IndyCar experience who are running in 18th or 20th or whatever else, um, they're a ways off the leader. And so we just got to acknowledge how big of a challenge this is. Uh, Last two questions here. Um, Lee Lou. How you doing, Lee Lou? Uh, sorry, I got to this so late here. Hi, Marshall. Hope you're doing better. Thanks. I am. Uh, is there any or just the tiniest rumors indicating that Kevin Magnuson is having conversations with any teams? Says asking again. Sorry for a K-Mag and IndyCar fan. Lee Lou, never, ever, ever, ever say sorry. Please do not say sorry. Thank you for sending this back in. And thank you for sending it in such a, a kind delivery. I have heard two things regarding Kevin Magnuson and f- drives for next year. And this is as of the last, within the last week, let's say. One of them being much sooner than, or much more recent than that. I've heard about two opportunities for Kevin that would have him driving cars full-time. They just are not in IndyCar. Does that mean he has no opportunities in IndyCar? It does not. That just means that of the things I know about that I would say are the most realistic options for him not here in an IndyCar. So I hope to be able to shed more light on that. Uh, I am aware of one team where he has an opportunity. I am aware of uh, one series that he has an opportunity. I'm just not at a place where I'm ready to say those things on the show here because I haven't said them in print, and ultimately that's what I'm paid to do. So wouldn't say never, 
But yeah, uh, IndyCar might not be the place where Kevin's future is immediate future is held. And that would really bum me out. Let's go to our final question here. Northern Penguin. Oh, one. Hey, Marshall, over the weekend, I watched the 2011 Kentucky race. There were 29 entries and four of those were filled by women. Is the current lack of women uh, in 2020 compared to 2011, just a side effect of a smaller field size. I have a hard time believing the series went backwards in their acceptance of women since 2011. Uh, and as the field size starts to creep back up, how likely do you think it is that at least one woman can find their way back into the series? Ooh, boy, again, I should have gotten to this sooner because uh, I'm trying to close the show and here's one that's going to require a minute or two. I'll try and keep it short. When we're talking about that awesome scenario with four women in the field, I think the biggest recognition to make as to why that happened then and early-ish in the 2010s or up through the early-ish 2010s but then fell off really comes back to when those women were in the road to Indy or a series that similar parallel to road to Indy and then graduated. What was it, 2009? where Simona was just driving like, you know, the the next big talent in the world, and I don't believe she's stopped being that, but in Atlantic, uh, just monster. And so not a big surprise. She moved to the IndyCar series in 2010, and that was with the team she was in Atlantic with. So they graduated, and there's some good IndyCar people in there, experienced IndyCar people, but this was a very small endeavor. Uh, You can throw in Danica, who obviously had graduated from uh, Atlantic's in, what was that, 2003, 2004? Uh, If we're talking Anna Beatriz, you know, she was a recent graduate of Indy Lights. Um, Pippa Mann, similar thing, where her time in Lights was somewhat recent to when she was in IndyCar. So I'd just say very much the natural progression, dear Northern Penguin 01, is what had these women in the series. They were on the road to Indy. They demonstrated aptitude, some more than others, and into IndyCar they went. And isn't that the same exact story of all the the young men that do this uh, and demonstrate aptitude? Uh, win some races, hopefully, if not a championship, and then move their way up into IndyCar. The reason that we don't have that now is a really simple thing, and it is there are no women on the road to Indy. Uh, Sabre Cook, I think, which we got into a little bit in the last episode, she did a partial season this year, didn't go super well. That then stopped happening, and there you go. Uh, there are no young women on the road to Indy, and therefore we can't say, hey, she, whomever she happens to be, is in Indy Lights, and she's in her first year or second year, and she's really kicking some ass, and boy, she is going to be hell to deal with when she gets to IndyCar. We were saying that late 2000s, early 2010s type thing, mid-2000s, whatever it was, gotta be there 
in order to be there. And there are no women there. So does that mean that there are no young women with the talent deserving of being on the road to Indy? Absolutely not. So this is the problem. This is the thing that I hope the race for equality and change steps in, intercedes, and helps. Hi, if you have the money, which you do, and you've recognized there's a problem, which you have, let's jumpstart something that has just run flat and died. So beyond drivers of color, um, y'all probably know there's no secret in my saying that, boy, uh, the next Willie T. Ribs, the next George Mack, uh, really long overdue in our sport. We all know that. The no women side, that's something that's just ridiculous to me. <laughs> Half the world is not men, and yet 0% of that 50%, whatever the exact numerical uh, split is, is not in our sport. You know, it's We can point to a lot of ethnicities that are not represented in IndyCar and other racing series. Uh, whether it is Native American, you could be an Eskimo, you could be Vietnamese, you could be whatever. You can run down the list of a lot of amazing people from a lot of amazing ethnic or tribal backgrounds that aren't in IndyCar. More often than not, we're talking about smallish slivers within the, the overall populace here in the United States. When you're just saying straight up, half the people who live in this country <laughs> are not represented in a gender-neutral, gender-free sport, right? This isn't women's soccer and men's soccer. This is straight up whatever you are. Uh, if you got talent, you got aptitude, and hopefully these days you got some sponsorship, you got a seat, well, uh, there's something broken here. And so... Yes, the problem is in the lack of talented young women on the road to Indy. The pipeline is dry. It's completely empty right now. Fixing that, uh, identifying the young women who really, we would say you'd be an idiot IndyCar or name the team owner or a sponsor, whomever, to not get behind them. I think that identification process, uh, boy, I hope that happens immediately and action is taken. As for one, at least one woman that might find their way back into the series, I don't know where Pippa Mann is at in terms of that happening. It seems like with uh, some of the sponsorship changes, uh, deficit, new deficit that struck her in 2020 in terms of getting into the Indy 500, I don't know if she's had any luck finding more or new opportunities. Uh, so I say that because I don't know if, she, since she was the last, I don't know if she's in a position to be able to return or if her final run in 2019, or if her run in 2019 at NDU is indeed her final. Would probably not be speaking out of turn if I were to mention that if one. Catherine Legg 
were to be in IndyCar next year a little bit, not full-time by any means, but we're doing a little bit of something, uh, I wouldn't be super shocked. So, yeah, I'd probably put her name as the most likely, and that'd be pretty cool for Kat. She's uh, She is a ball of awesome, uh, an ass kicker, and... Yeah, uh, I think the world of her in terms of uh, athlete representative and someone who truly thinks of making a difference uh, in everything that she does wasn't always that way. Not all of us are that way. Many of us never become that way. She she is trying to do some things that are bigger uh, than herself in the sport right now. And I think that's pretty cool. So, um, there you go. All right. So I told you I had an hour and a half. It's now beyond an hour and a half. Please just pretend with me that this is only an hour and a half long and man, I'm going to be up late tonight, but that's all good. All right. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is a Marshall Pruitt podcast in your week in IndyCar listener Q and a, uh, say thank you to my co-pilot, although she is curled up and has been sleeping the whole time, that being our crazy little girl, that be uh, being our cat, Rosie. Um, Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA, thank you so much. Elio Castro Neves is our guest this week. Uh, arranged that on our call this morning. So, yeah, there we go. And then I'm going to get to part two as soon as I can, and Hopefully our man Tim Falkowitz doesn't bonk me over the head with uh, 19 million words uh, worth of questions in that one. So, all right. Thank you all. You rock. Really appreciate what you do for me each week by sending in these fun questions and just giving me a chance to rap with you all since I can't do it in person right now. And we'll speak to you here shortly. <laughs>